Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. Before we get into it this week, I want to remind everyone that Bike Portland relies on the financial support of subscribers. We are very grateful for those of you who've already stepped up and want to remind the rest of you to please become a subscriber today so we can continue to improve and expand our work. You can find out how to subscribe or advertise at bikeportland.org support. Okay, on to the episode. This week, we delve into the topic of car-free streets, plazas, and great public spaces in Portland. You might have read our recent story about the big announcement Monday morning from the city of Portland that they want to double down on their outdoor dining patios, uh, those plazas you see uh, on streets throughout the city and other car-free public space programs, both downtown in the central city, uh, as well as uh, out in neighborhoods. Now, it's, it's important to remember a bit of the context here, which is Portland's Transportation Bureau has had a sidewalk cafe seating for many years, but when COVID hit, they transformed it into what's now known as the Healthy Business Permit Program. That program has been used by over 1,000 local businesses uh, at no charge since the pandemic hit in spring 2020. Just think about that for a second. The city gave away some of our most valuable public streets and spaces for free to private businesses. It would be scandalous under different circumstances. And I recall many years ago when the city created a car-free space on Southwest Ankeny, that was one of the main criticisms was that they were essentially signing over public space to private interest. But this is a different time. And despite those optics, people who responded to a PBOT survey about the program have given it overwhelmingly good reviews. It turns out people just can't help but love when our streets are used for something other than car car and truck traffic. That's one of the reasons that on Monday, PBOT and their commissioner, Joanne Hardesty, announced they want to make that program and another one that issues permits to community groups to manage car-free plazas in neighborhood commercial districts permanent. A quick bit of uh, political context here is that Commissioner Hardesty made car-free spaces a top priority since she took over the Transportation Bureau in January 2021. And with these plaza programs, she's really standing on the shoulders of work started by her predecessor, uh, former PBOT Commissioner Chloe Udaly, who was first to put the program into motion. Uh, Hardesty, in a, in a nice gesture, I have to say, Hardesty thanked Udaly in her speech on Monday. Now, I want to step back again a bit and say that I think this is a huge step for our city. And as you'll learn in this episode, uh, we should seize this opportunity and leverage it into bigger and better and even more car-free things uh, in the future. Because as I'm sure all of you know, and as our friends at the War on Cars podcast uh, like to say on their stickers, cars ruin cities. On that note, it's worth knowing a bit more of Portland's car-free history and context here. One of the first events that really inspired me and introduced me to the neat people and ideas around low-car life in Portland was the Car-Free Day Street Fair held on uh, Southwest 9th and Oak, which is uh, outside of what is now like, I think, Sizzle Pie and Courier Coffee. Uh, that was in September of 2004. Uh, just a few months later uh, is when I would have actually started posting regularly uh, on Bike Portland. And who among you remembers the excellent International Towards Car-Free Cities Conference that was held right here in Portland in 2008? I remember not just the great volunteer activist that put all the great programming together as part of that conference. Uh, thank you, Ellie Blue and Megan Sinnott. Uh, but I also recall seeing many city staff involved and excited as well. 
And the thing is, Portland's interest in car-free streets goes back pretty far. Everyone knows how we tore out Harbor Drive and replaced it with Waterfront Park, and how we got rid of a parking garage in the center of downtown and replaced it with Pioneer Square, or what's known by some as uh, Portland's living room. But even before all that, the groundwork was laid by the city of Portland's downtown plan uh, adopted by city council in 1972. That included a recommendation to prohibit driving in large swaths of downtown. And the plan said we should actually close Park and Ninth Avenues and the park blocks to car and truck traffic entirely. But while we are certainly less car friendly than most other American cities, Portland hasn't made as much progress by now as I would have hoped. Like the park blocks, the north and south park blocks, come on, those are an obvious place that should be car free. But uh, even though they were recommended in 1972, that is still not the case 50 years later. But while there have been some glimmers of hope in the past few years, nothing has felt more exciting, uh, to me at least, than what happened on Southwest Harvey Milk Street on Monday morning. Not only did we learn that the city wants to expand and institutionalize their plaza and car-free public space programs, we heard a refreshing level of a candid enthusiasm uh, about it from the commissioner of PBOT and the director of the agency. On that note, I wanted to share an edited version of Commissioner Hardesty's speech at Monday's press conference. Uh, I think you'll agree her excitement about the programs uh, was very obvious. We're standing here in the middle of Southwest Harvey uh, Milk Street. We're here today because this is Pride Plaza. Every neighborhood should have a welcoming place where community members can get together uh, and enjoy each other. We have seen many communities come together using our streets to create plazas as well. As we emerge from this pandemic, I am determined to keep, determined to create a Portland that is more resilient, more inclusive, and more equitably placed than it was before. So I am directing PBOT to extend these two programs and work to make them permanent so that we can use our streets for people, not just for automobiles. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? Today, I am directing PBOT to begin the transition to making this program permanent. And let me just say, this is a big win for Portland. And I'm hopeful that my city council colleagues and the community will help us make this happen. If we all work together, we can keep this going. And I have to say, this is one of the most beautiful plazas, car-free areas, meeting spaces in the city of Portland. That was uh, PBOT Commissioner uh, Joanne Hardesty. One thing you need to know about PBOT and really every elected official I've ever met is that they seem to love partnering with businesses. One big reason the Healthy Business Program, I think, uh, was given away for free at the cost, at a great cost to the city for two years is because PBOT and City Hall have used it to create close working relationships with hundreds of business owners. These are people who, under different circumstances, like say when PBOT wants to uh, build a bike lane or remove parking in front of a business, they would typically be some of the city's biggest enemies. But instead, the Healthy Business Program has created loads of kumbaya because it was a lifeline during the worst parts of COVID when restaurants couldn't seat people indoors and neighborhood commercial districts were really ghost towns. On that note, here's Neil Matson, who also spoke at Monday's press conference. He's president of the Montevilla East Tabor Business Association. 
in our community in Montevilla, we have 24 businesses currently offering outdoor seating. Um, if we hadn't had the ability to have the healthy businesses permits, those businesses, I'm pretty confident, would all be gone today. One of the lines I won't forget from the event is when PBOT director Chris Warner said they want to, quote, create a new Portland. I love that kind of talk, especially when it comes from PBOT's highest uh, level staffer. I grabbed Warner a bit later and I asked him to expand on what the program has meant to PBOT's relationship with businesses and what an ideal vision of the program looks like to him in the future. You know, I think sometimes an emergency really makes you uh, evaluate what you do. And so what this really enabled us to do is really live our values that we've been uh, pedestrian safety or, uh, you know, bicycle access and things like that. So it really gave us the opportunity to really live our values. And so uh, uh, we really took advantage of that opportunity to make sure that uh, we were actually um, kind of recreating those spaces and those relationships all in this together. And certainly I think the pandemic pulled us all together. And what we want to do is take this program to the next level where we can continue to do the good work and to really make sure that uh, the city continues to thrive. And it thrives uh, in not only uh, a pandemic, but beyond in terms of the climate issues and, and, and we're trying to get people out of their cars and, and how do we make sure we can build community. So yeah, it's been a great activate staff. And, and what would like a, if the budget thing goes through, what does a perfect Healthy Streets Business Plaza program look like to you in the future? Uh, it, is, it is sustainable. It is all over the city. Uh, it is, uh, every community is touched by it. It really does create that feeling that, uh, that uh, we are one city and that we are outside and that builds community. And so I, there's no other way of, of making the city feel safer than having people on the streets people uh, out enjoying uh, the life of the city. So yeah, that's the kind of city that we want to create. Hannah Schaefer is PBOT's communications director. I asked her how the programs changed over the past two years and what impact she feels it has had on the city. COVID in this situation really gave us a chance to do like the proof of concept that we never had the opportunity to do before. And I think that's a really big silver lining of COVID, if you can say that, is that we were able to really just put stuff out in the street in partnership with businesses and and see if it works. And, and it did work. And as you heard from the speakers here today, not only did it work, it really kind of kept their businesses alive and kept jobs. It kept, you know, so many things that that we're really, I think, I feel very proud of for, that our team was able to do, that the Bureau was able to do uh, and, and to support our city during the pandemic. So go, looking ahead, I think, um, you know, it, it gave Portlanders an opportunity to see what this light, what this feels like. And, it, and in a way, I think that, that it sort of normalized this and going out of, you know, as we emerge out of COVID, so to speak, I think people are going to be really hoping to see more of these on the street and continue to see them on the street, whether we're in a pandemic or not. Yeah. And in the next clip, PBOT's policy planning and projects group manager, it's a long title, Art Pierce, uh, explains how the pandemic enabled the Bureau to take big leaps in progress. You know, the business uses in the streets as well as plaza spaces have been a program for many years, but have been one that has been, you know, really hard to gain overall traction. And so the urgency of the, the COVID pandemic really, I think, helped us focus our energy on making it possible. I think together with the leadership of Commissioner Hardesty, who really gave us a strong direction, she wanted to see more of this, that really helped us as an agency lean together into the space, 
um, together the, between the planning and the permitting staff in a way that I don't think we've achieved historically. And I think it's really exciting. I mean, uh, as, as on my birthday, having this as a birthday present, this is a really significant gift to me. To hear what a business owner thinks about the program, I was able to grab Eli Johnson and have an extended chat with him after the sort of formalities of the press conference were over. Uh, Johnson is co-owner of Atlas Pizza, which is uh, one of my favorite spots. I go to the one on Killingsworth a lot. Uh, he also is co-owner, co-owner of Five and Dime and Dots Cafe, uh, and his business holds three healthy business permits. Here's my conversation uh, with Eli Johnson. Have, has this program shifted for you in terms of like how you see how your customers get to your, the restaurants and the need for like car parking versus space for people? Has it any shifts for you that you want to share? I mean, honestly, my perspective has always been if you're riding a bike, you're trying to help the planet. If you're driving a car, you're not really doing your part. And so I always get out of the way so bikes can come through. Up on Clinton Street, which is a bike lane at this point, um, we've seen people look a lot more comfortable and a lot happier riding their bikes and a lot safer. And that's pretty wonderful. You know, like you see a lot more families going through, a lot of commuters in the morning. Um, there's still plenty of parking uh, for cars all over the neighborhood. That's not a problem at all. So I think closing the side streets to make them bike lanes is a brilliant idea. Uh, because the city's set up well enough that, that you can park. It hasn't been an issue for anybody. I know you own, you own some restaurants that are definitely embedded in neighborhoods, and I'm sure you know that sometimes those neighborhood conversations around parking can be pretty sharp, uh, but you've found that it's been okay? I absolutely have. People can get grumpy when they feel like uh, their rights are, as we've seen, like silly rights, like not wearing a mask, people can get ridiculous about. So it's the same thing with parking. But honestly, no, I haven't seen any negative impact on parking at all. Can you tell me anything about like the, the free versus not free thing? So obviously these initial permits were free. You, you all, as a, as a business owner, you were probably eager to have more space to seat people safely. Uh, are you reluctant to pay? Are you happy to pay? Tell me about what you're thinking in terms of the payment. Uh, I have found as a small business owner that nothing is free. Um, and it's surprising when it is. And so I'm perfectly happy. I mean, we used to have to pay for our sidewalk seats anyway. And so if we have to pay a little more to close down the street and make it safer and have music and food and a sense of community and people hanging out together, that's totally worth it. So for even outside the, let's say, knock on wood, let's say everything goes back to normal. There's no more sign of a new variant. Everybody's feeling healthy and good. Is this going to be like an additional thing? You're always going to have this big plaza and plus the indoor seating. How do you see the future of having this kind of space on the street? Um, I would like to see the future of this kind of space on the street um, continue to move in the direction it's currently moving. I think that uh, while I haven't been to Europe very much, my impression is that the sense of community in neighborhoods is pretty strong and people spend a lot of time outside. And we live somewhere that's gorgeous most of the year. And I would love it if we all hung out outside and listened to music and cheers to each other. You know, like, what's not to like? It's kind of like uh, if you're going to renovate the inside of your, of your places, you, you couldn't really do a nicer re- renovation than some of these Portland neighborhoods, right? No, no, absolutely not. And not everybody can just build roll-up doors and windows that open to the outside. So actually being able to be outside while you have your delicious food and your cocktail or your beer, that's beautiful. You see, your, you, you see yourself like 
plunking down investing more in kind of the the furniture infrastructure aspect to me that's been interesting to see restaurants first they came out with like plastic barricades and then the people that were you know more ambitious kind of got the plywood out and i've seen some really nice things i mean it's have you thought about that like what's your what are your spaces going to look like i mean it might be a, a new niche in uh, construction yeah it is um it's hard to find construction uh crews right now they are all i guess i guess we're still in a town that's booming um, in a weird way, because it's really hard to find people to work. But yeah, um, we have doubled down like we're going to be here and invested money we didn't have to make beautiful outdoor spaces. And I think mostly plants and color will be the next steps and eventually sound. Um, it'd be nice to make it as uh, integrated as possible. Like we do have a DJ come out and he DJs for the block. So for Lemoule and for um, us and for La Magna and for, uh, you know, Clinton Street Pub, like everybody's sitting outside their favorite spot, but they're all enjoying a, a fun time. And you think the way you feel about these is, would you say is shared by other, other business owners in that, in, that general in that general block there, let's say Clinton specifically? Absolutely. Absolutely. They, uh, they need it. You know, they need it. Like we, our, our business is still around 50% of what it used to be. People are not comfortable coming inside in, in large part, and I don't blame them. And um, one, two, three of our businesses are still shut down indoors to people because our staff and our customer safety come first. Um, and last time they lifted the mask mandate, everybody got sick. So we're still waiting at a couple spots to see how it goes. Um, and the outdoor seating is still saving our butt. Does the city making this permanent uh, shift for you in terms of like looking more at the future in terms of being more confident and maybe investing or, or planning more longer range knowing that you have this outdoor space? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if we can keep our outdoor seats, it adds enough capacity and a pleasant environment that should the pandemic come back, well, we've still got outdoor seats. If it does not come back, we've got more outdoor seats and we can build a scene that people are, are enjoying. And um, it makes me think that, you know, a business where the average restaurant closes in five years, I think 75% of them, Dots has been around for 31 years. It makes me think that another five or 10 years is totally doable. That was Eli Johnson, the co-owner of Dots Cafe, Atlas Pizza, and Five and Dime, uh, who currently manages three of the healthy business permits. And last but definitely not least uh, is an interview with Keith Jones. He's the executive director of Friends of Green Loop. The Green Loop is a conceptual plan. It's actually been adopted officially by city council. The, the plan is for uh, someday a, to have a six-mile uh, linear park that will uh, ring Portland's central city and unite the east and west sides of the, of the Willamette River with a variety of, of green spaces and biking and walking paths. Keith is uh, always in the trenches of some good Portland activism, and I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, I recently talked to him about his work in creating the Ankeny West food carts just south of the park blocks off Burnside. So this is uh, somebody who has a lot of experience uh, working with the city around car-free uh, spaces and public plazas. Here's my conversation with Keith. Keith Jones, thanks for coming on the podcast to talk to me about this. Um, I was at the press conference yesterday uh, and I thought, I felt like it was this kind of uh, important moment with the Commissioner Hardesty and Peabot uh, expressing their desire to make their plazas program uh, permanent. And I'm curious what you, as somebody who's worked on uh, the Green Loop and a bunch of other sort of plaza promenade related stuff in the city, what did you think when you heard that news yesterday? 
Oh, I was very happy to hear it. I mean, it's about time, but I, I know they had to pilot it a little bit, but I think it's been really successful. And so um, uh, I hope to see more of these. And uh, I'd like to see also how PBOT improves the program to make it more accessible for people uh, to pedestrianize their streets. And when you say people, you mean... Community organizations, loosely organized groups of people. I think that one of the early um, issues that came out was, so who's going to pull the permit? And so if you have like a block with a number of businesses, someone sort of has to step up and uh, be the leader on that, but also pull the insurance and the permit and all of that. And so um, early on that that was typically like a, a nonprofit or a business association, but mostly a business association that mm. had to do it. Right, and you have some experience with, with this, of course, because you were instrumental and actually you spearheaded the uh, the cart blocks. Yeah, and a lot. You know, it was it's really funny because when when that when COVID really hit, uh, I got a call uh, from a friend of mine that said that they were in a, a meeting with the mayor. And that there was some talk around, you know, should we use streets for businesses? And hey, maybe you should talk to them about the work you did over the Green Loop. Maybe there's an opportunity here to do this on the Green Loop. And so um, uh, a couple of a couple of businesses um, and I went to Peabot and started talking to them about this. And that out of those conversations, sort of this program came about. Wow, awesome. So, so you think uh, having having the program like it was, you, you said before, you're, you're, you think it's been uh, successful. And do you say that because, I'm curious, do you say that because of the, the number of permits, the, like the adoption rate of businesses, you think that's sort of proof that it's going well? Or uh, what, what to you makes uh, the, the sort of healthy business permit program successful? I think seeing some of the plazas really take off and become places um, and, and places that people enjoy. And also, you know, I worked, um, the first one I did was Northwest 13th, like a pure healthy business permit. And that started off very, <laughs> very bare bones. I mean, like, um, uh, Brad Nelson and I put traffic control devices, uh, in place on the day that the, uh, wildfire smoke rolled in. And we were like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, like mm. you know, this is this is this has already been like a process, but this is you know, I hope this goes well. <laughs> it can only look up from here. But then, you know, that first year was a little bit shaky. Why people found their footing, but then like the next year, I mean, that became uh, a fully flourished place, and I see nothing but opportunity there. I mean, that's going to grow more and more. So I, I think that the fact that businesses succeeded and stayed alive during. Um, during COVID uh, is, is a good indicator, but also Travel Portland has a, uh, an outdoor dining uh, finder. So it's become a, a, a destination as well. I mean, that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, speaking about, I, I wanted to ask you about 13th. People like you and I and others have always been eyeing 13th. I mean, for years, we've been eyeing 13th as a great place to make, uh, you know, basically car free to make a pedestrian mall there, uh, at least from, let's say, you know, from Burnside over to like, like Johnson or wherever, right? So 13th is just naturally a great place. They already have like the first Thursday art walk. People know it as a pedestrian space and it's just really awkward to have people driving through there. So I was amazed when I saw it because when I saw it with all the patio dining and with sort of these plazas more recently, because I didn't hear anything about it. And it was like, there was no opposition, you know, just all of a sudden it, it seemed to happen. Is that, 
is that kind of like your memory of how that came about or like how did something get pulled off like that without a lot of there just wasn't a lot of attention on it, it seemed to happen behind the scenes was that by design or what uh no but it, it it took a lot of community on that too i mean that's a lot of pieces that that got pulled together and really the conveners on that were were um uh, the Pearl uh, Business Association and the Pearl um, Neighborhood Association, Reza and David over there, really did a great job of you know working with the the businesses to get everyone, you know, to, to talk. We, we had to talk about to everyone about like what their what their ideas and their hopes for spaces were. But you know, I think that that's been a long, like you said. I mean, Northwest Thirteenth has some good bones in it for for being a pedestrianized streets, and everyone wanted to see that happen. So there was already some some groundwork that had been laid that we just sort of built on, but um, uh, it really did. It was it was the community of businesses that were there that really came together and created that space. So all I did was put things on a map, really, you know, and then talk to Peabot and get you know this and that. Um, uh, but really, once it, it it once it started going, it took on a life of its own. And you know, I think that that one night that we went out there. Uh, Papi Chulos, I mean, like had expanded into the street in a way that I never saw. I mean, like they had a, a picket fence, a wooden picket fence when they started and with some barrels, mm, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and like one row of seating. And now it was like a double decker, you know, yeah. uh, platform out there and just like tons of people uh, from all over. It was it was it's it's really nice to see. Yeah, it's great. I talked to a restaurant owner at the press conference yesterday. Uh, actually, I think Eli Johnson, I think is his name. He owns several big restaurants in town. Uh, I asked him about, you know, if it had shifted his sort of mindset about what he thinks about in terms of access to his restaurants, uh, whether people come with cars or bikes. And I was just curious if you have you seen and you're, you're someone on the ground advocating for this stuff. You're talking directly to business owners. It sounds like you're saying the business owners on 13th were, were super positive. Like, have you seen any shift with business owners because of COVID? Like, has the light went on in terms of them not being so car oriented or at least being so sort of reflexively uh, opposed? to stuff like this um i think that there's more i've heard anecdotal stories about maybe people who were skeptical of these types of installations or you know what bike traffic can really do but these are these are real world examples where it actually you know works so uh, i do think it has turned um turned some people around um i i I, I had some calls from people that also were like very interested in this, not really sure what to do. How do we navigate this process? And and so I think that now that this announce, announcement is out and um, um, we can see, you know, places like Northwest 13th and Pride Plaza and other places like that, I think people are going to start, you know, experimenting with the place, the, the street a little bit more, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I asked that one restaurant owner I talked to, like, if this means that he's going to like, you know, go visit the bank now that he has more like assurance that uh, his construct, his like new construction out in the street is, is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I was like asking him about getting his contractors lined up and stuff, lined up and stuff, because I do think they're going to just, you know, start drilling more stuff into the pavement and making it more permanent. So I'm super, <laughs> I'm super excited to see that. So I wanted to sort of like shift gears a little bit and look at like the the local advocacy landscape sort of more broadly. And I always, when these kind of things happen, I don't know if it's the, I mean, I think it's just part of like my optimism in general about things and maybe my idealism, but I like to think, you know, is there like a movement happening here? Is there a bigger thing going on? And when I look in Portland, 
I see this landscape of, of several different groups and people, you know, sort of actively thinking and dreaming about more car free space uh, in, in the central city. And there, there are also efforts going on in neighborhood related plazas and car free spaces. But for the most part, we're, we're talking about uh, downtown in the central city loop, let's say. So I, I made a list before I talked to you. I see there's Better Block, which obviously has done a lot in terms of like demonstration projects and is actively has this great partnership at Portland State University and, and around tactical urbanism stuff. So there's Better Block. There's this Portland Promenade Project, which has sort of done some mapping and some outreach and some other stuff to to sort of like show people the map of existing car-free sort of promenades downtown, of which there are, you know, a lot, more, more than people think. Um, you have uh, someone like Ian McKenzie, who's a, uh, a local, uh, I guess you'd call him like an urbanist advocate uh, who also does the, ne the great Next Portland blog. He tweeted out an idea for a car-free network sort of based around that inner West Burnside area. Um, you've got the you know, Broadway corridor development, which is going to be a big chunk of, you know, relatively car low car, car free, you know, pedestrian oriented space. You've got the recently passed South Park's block master plan, which is going to really hopefully someday, you know, change the way that looks. And of course, there's your baby, like the green loop uh, in that project, which is making progress in part uh, because of things like the Earl Blumenauer bridge and, and all the other work that, that you've been doing. So that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff going on around sort of related to this topic. But from my perspective, they're not, they aren't really, they're not coordinated at all. Um, and I wonder if you think there, there's a need or there should be sort of a more unified approach. And if all these folks got together and sort of laid out their maps, we may actually have a lot more sort of political juice to throw at this issue. Hmm. I think it's interesting that, you know, um, maybe sit down with with groups like that to come up with a plan like you said i mean like it'd be nice to say what can we do over in this area because you know these these plazas that we're talking about they have a effect on the surrounding blocks too so if you put two on the same street maybe a couple blocks from each other you sort of like calm the area in between it's like putting a dam uh, upstream the, the the car traffic sort of slows down quite a bit so you know pride plaza is a little bit it's a couple blocks up from where the cart blocks connects on southwest park and we've already seen less traffic between southwest park and pride plaza you know and then if you continue up and around um the annex there right and then into it it dovetails right in northwest 13th and then Northwest 13th hits Flanders and then comes right back down to the Green Loop. There's a little loop right off there, but but that wasn't really planned, right? So imagine what we can do with with some planning. When I look at the Green Loop, I mean they, I mean like it's not it's a project right now at the city. It's it's but it's still, I mean, like a, a ways away. But things like the cart blocks are these string of pearls that we can we can activate using healthy businesses that can start putting it on the map and then fill it in. Now, most of the groups that you've talked to, I, uh, that you mentioned there, I mean, I've talked to from time to time, but like there needs to be a concerted effort and maybe a best practices because, you know, things like when, when, a, when a business, you know, tries to set one of these up, they, they don't know what, uh, they don't even know what Peabot is half the time, right? And then imagine them trying to figure out traffic calming and how do you put an emergency lane in and what does that mean and how to design things you know that's needed too yeah okay so then how do uh, how do folks like you and other advocates and even even myself to some degree who who really wants to see more car free space downtown 
how do we best use the healthy business program and PBOT sort of, you know, I won't say new interest. PBOT's always done sort of public space activation. They've always liked doing it. But this to me feels like the largest sort of most significant step they've taken in my memory. So how do we best sort of, or should we even use that? Or should it, should it be separate? Like, do you think there's an opportunity for all those groups I mentioned to use this moment uh, of the healthy business plaza stuff uh, to, you know, to achieve some of these these bigger goals? I think that's a great idea. And, and you know, it's a little bit like food carts in a way, because like, you know, if you're going to open a restaurant, it's very expensive to do that, right? And a food cart's a nice low barrier entry point to like, get in the game, try things out. And if we're going to talk about pedestrianizing certain streets or calming them, at least, this is a very low barrier way, uh, yeah. no pun intended there, uh -huh. to do that. And so, you know, you can show, you know, the community and the city at the same time, how these things actually can play out and be successful and how much they're embraced. I mean, Pride Plaza has become very loved, you know what I mean? Right. And there are these spaces all over the place um, that uh, I think that, you know, I mean, I go to right now to meet people at. So I think that that's, that's one way of, of, of doing, it's a low barrier way to try out a big idea. Yeah, I like that. It's like the these are the car-free spaces, like, you know, like you're saying, like, like uh, food carts are to restaurants. I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I like thinking of it that way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you would you would agree with this, but like I didn't even mention when I listed all those groups in town sort of working and, th and scheming and dreaming about this kind of stuff. I didn't even mention like the real political realities of the moment, which is this huge spike in gas prices, you know, this. Oh, yeah. This yeah. this war, this insane war in Ukraine and, and the climate crisis, which, you know, I think people, you know, that's still right there for a lot of people. There's this massive shift in, you know, downtown's uh, sort of vitality because of COVID uh, and all the changes in people's commuting uh, habits and sort of the related need for downtown to get this big injection of, of excitement and vibrancy. Um, so do you think those things as well sort of feed into like the urgency of this moment and why it might be a good idea for some of these car-free, uh, you know, uh, plaza advocate folks to kind of really get their game together and, and, and get going on stuff? I think that's one reason. I also think that, you know, uncertainty with COVID is another. So, you know, downtown, as you probably have seen, has been pretty empty, but we've also lost a, a lot of, of businesses, small businesses, independent restaurants and uh, retail. So I've been looking at, at, at different options. One thing that the healthy businesses permits haven't really, um, or at least one thing that really hasn't taken well to it is retail. I haven't really seen retail really take off in these spaces because it's it, like you have a, you have a store inside and then what do you do with the outside space? Even if you put inventory out there, then you have to double your staff because they have to be inside and outside. So um, I'm looking at ways right now that we can do sort of like a food cart type of installation with retail and then use this as like a, a food cart for retail spaces. And then we can refresh or, or, or repopulate that inventory. These will become future tenants in brick and mortar places downtown. So I think that we need to really start thinking about like how we we, we, we prepare for the next, you know, variant, maybe these are, these are also resilient because, Hey, you're outside, you know, and there's not that much overhead and risk associated with it. So there, there's that, but also yes, being able to bike about and, and get to your favorite places or create little neighborhood, you know, uh, marketplaces, I think are a great idea. And I think that now is 
a moment. You know, there are cities that are turning like Paris, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point about retail businesses. I think a lot of this conversation, especially from the city side, is focused on restaurants and dining because that's just like an obvious thing to do in the street. So that's a good point. And I think to me, the pitch on that would just be like, okay, you're not going to put your items and products out there. You're not going to do the commerce out in the street. But what these kind of plazas will do is they will create the foot traffic that is going to be vital to buying your stuff so maybe maybe they they're investing not in like street furniture to get people they're investing in like a really good window designer because <laughs> window shopping is going to become like the thing because we're going to have these great spaces outside their businesses where people are going to linger because there's going to be you know the stuff that you know like you know public art or there's going to be a food a, a cool food cart or something because yeah if they don't have food they're not going to have that that traffic so by the way, also, I think that, you know, there's a good opportunity here that to put community space. You know, it shouldn't just be all business. Um, what kind of community, community spaces can we create in these um, permits as well? Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, I, I kind of like, I think I kind of messed up some of my coverage yesterday because the way I read the press statement from the city was it, their thing was really focused on the healthy business permits being uh, made permanent and having a fee. So that's where my brain went. But th what was lost yesterday was like the secondary announcement that they also are going to be pushing to make like their public space activation stuff, which is more, yes, neighborhood focused and less commercial focused, making that more uh, permanent as well. Um, that one's just different because it just takes a different, it just has a different kind of, uh, I don't know, like an aesthetics and like a feel to it than, than these business ones. They don't seem as visible. But yeah, we shouldn't lose sight of that. And I also think it's interesting how that's where I think Commissioner Hardy sees really like flexing her interest in like how she sees car-free spaces. And I'm still kind of like trying to think about this, but it's just interesting to me, the politics on this right now, because this conversation's always been dominated by like urbanists, you know, guys that look like you and I, for the most part, people that come at this from like an either an urban planning or like maybe like an anti-car uh, frame for sure. And that is not, that is not Commissioner Hardesty. I think for her, and I think this is what's so potentially powerful and, and really cool about this moment is that I think for her, she sees these as like a way to like level the playing field of like who can access good quality space. Uh, and especially with her focus on the way she's going to do the neighborhood uh, focus program, which I think she's going to definitely try to direct. It's going to be like a grant initiated program where, and she's going to direct that stuff to, you know, uh, people that are black and people, other people of color and different groups that don't usually uh, get to host kind of stuff like this. And in places in town that are sort of like, don't have great parks and don't have great public spaces. So it's interesting. She's coming at it from from that angle, which I think is super is super interesting and cool. Uh, and so the way it manifests in the neighborhoods is going to be really interesting to, to watch. You know, I I think that and and I think that they have removed the the um, so so one of the most expensive pieces is the traffic barriers. So when we were looking at Northwest 13th, I mean, that was going to cost 10 grand alone just to do that. And so if you're struggling as a business, you know, I mean, that's that's really expensive. Which kind of barriers they do made you mean? It, Which ones are expensive? Oh, like like the street, you know, uh, traffic control barriers and things like that. So type threes and all that. Wow. It's very expensive to rent that yeah. for an extended period of time. So I think that Peabot is looking at, you know, um, uh, I don't know if they've rolled this out officially or not, but like I've heard that they're they're working on uh, making that available for free. That will lower the barrier to, to uh, like even more to create these spaces because um, there is an added expense. The other thing that is pretty expensive about this too and kind of hard to do um, is the insurance. 
So there's a very particular piece of insurance that you have to have in place to do the street activation. And every time we try to get it, it has been like difficult. Yeah, that's a good point because I think, and, and this is where I think Peabot's really smart uh, on this, is that they are also asking in their budget request for almost a million bucks. And I think I read that as being strictly like customer service staff to navigate some of these issues, like give them permits and stuff like that. There's, 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 I, I think if they could help out with insurance, I think if they could provide some sort of like management as well, because some of these places do need, like if you do something like Northwest 13th and there's like restaurant spaces and we were going to do a beer garden over there, right? And if you do a beer garden, then you actually have to staff that. You have to, you know, have someone at the, at the door essentially to let people in and out, you know, check IDs, all that kind of stuff that takes. And then, you know, cleaning the tables and making sure the trash is picked up and sort of like the businesses right now have sort of done that on their own. But like, you really do need some level of management there. I, I we could have it at the cart blocks right now. Someone has to fill up the water tanks and make sure there's trash picked up and all that, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, f these are all like, you know, things that we can figure out and do. And if, if some of that budget goes towards that, I think that these will really, um, you'll see a lot more interesting spaces come up. What about getting it out of downtown, out of the central city? What about, would, you're not selling a product necessarily or, or you're not hosting diners. What about other ways uh, that people can use this permit program and sort of envision a uh, car-free space in a way that helps their organization or their business? And uh, sorry, but I wanted to butt in here from the studio and let you know when Keith responds here and mentions Milagro, he's talking about Milagro Theater on uh, Southeast Stark and Sixth, who uh, over the summer had painted a big mural and did a bunch of programming where they teamed up with the Street Trust uh, on a bunch of bike-related uh, projects. Milagro is a really interesting community space, and Danielle, the ED over there, um, initially uh, when we started talking, asked for a list of bike-related organizations and events and totally embraced it, just like when, you know, she did a ghost bike um, installation, um, a series of, of films around bicycle things. Uh, she did a, a, a Day of the Dead ride. Like, I mean, all of a sudden, someone who's like knew nothing about, you know, the bike environment is now like fully immersed. And that's where the power of these can really come in and convert people into more of a bike culture, yeah, if you will. And I love that because that also, you know, let's get out of downtown with these, right? Because I think there there could be a backlash if this is seen as just some like real downtown central city specific car free la la land. You know, I could just see the media or somebody running with that. But and then you also, yeah, you talked about making this be, go beyond restaurant owners and dining plazas. And so, yeah, you're right. That's a really interesting example. Like, so I think Milagros would be an example of uh, a business that has figured out, or an organization, they're, they're, they're an arts organization, has figured out a way to take this idea of, of plaza space in front of their business, uh, right, and like expand sort of their community, put take it into the, the whole community, and figure out a way to like help it benefit them. Because at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to see many, you know, just purely altruistic businesses or organizations that are like ponying up money for plaza space if it doesn't actually like impact their bottom line. So I think, yeah, the question is going to be is like, how can we as advocates, how can the city help people where it's not obvious? Like, you know, and like you said, maybe there are some like a best practices toolkit. Maybe that's actually something that that group of organizations could put together. Uh, I don't think I think the city is going to do a good job of showing like 
hardcore like technical design guidelines on how to make the spaces like with like lumber and two by fours and plywood but they're not going to put like any like ideas together on how to use the space so if that was available that could be something that like green loop better block those kind of folks work on together uh, so that we have more milagros out there that say hey i'm an arts organization what can i do with uh you know car free space in front of my business oh we can do our plays or maybe we can do diy summer camps with kids where they're out doing art projects in the middle of the street you know like people have to expand their sort of idea of what's possible you know one another one that we did was escuela viva which is a school um in central east side and the street in front of them was really busy and that's a school and so they wanted to calm the traffic down and bring attention that that was a school area and so we closed off that street and held a big party and then painted a mural on it. And that mural has an effect as you enter the space, you know it's different and it slows those cars down. So we did two events there that were just like, you know, to, to get people out and there was like food and, all, and, and performances and stuff like that. But really the long term effect was having that mural on the ground and slowing those vehicles down as they entered the spaces. That's an effective use of this program. And like I said, only two days was able to achieve that. So, you know, hopefully we can do more and more of that. But yes, I do think that there's, you know, everything that we do with the Green Loop and the cart blocks, we publish or we work with U of O and PSU students to like build kits of parts. So the idea here is that anything that we do uh, in these spaces should be available to other community organizations to follow suit. So I, I, I hope, to, uh, hope to work more together with more people to do more of this work uh, this summer. It's all good stuff, Keith. Appreciate you. Yep, uh, I agree. Appreciate you sharing your insights uh, on it. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That was Friends of Green Loop Executive Director Keith Jones. And that will do it for our show this week. Be sure to check our show notes for links and resources mentioned in this episode. The Bike Portland podcast is a production of Pedaltown Media Incorporated and is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're not a subscriber yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org support. You can listen to more episodes and find out how to subscribe at bikeportland.org podcast. Our theme music is by Kevin Hartnell. And I'm your host, Jonathan Maz. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the streets.